1992. I am 18 years old. And I am in a van with 10 or 12 other Americans driving up a windy, dusty dirt road to the top of a bluff on the outskirts of Tijuana, Mexico to um, see a community where I will be living and teaching for the next two and a half months. And I'm here because from the time that I was a little kid and could hear my uncle Osvaldo, my tío Ozzy, speak Spanish, he's from Argentina, I have always wanted to become fluent in Spanish and not just fluent like I can ask for where the bathroom is in an articulate way or I can <laughs> chat with a taxi driver, but so fluent that I might look like a gringa, but if I'm some in a Spanish-speaking country and they hear the melodious Spanish come out of my mouth, <laughs> they're going to be shocked and amazed because I will sound like a native speaker. And so um, at this point, I've lived abroad a couple times. I've lived in Spain and Mexico for about six months total. So my Spanish is okay, but I'm always looking for the next opportunity to go and live abroad and practice and learn. And so I've signed up for this program where I'm going to be in Tijuana, Mexico for the summer between my freshman and sophomore years of college. And I'm going to teach. And it's going to be awesome because I'm 18, so of course it's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I haven't really given a lot of thought to what this is going to involve. It's going to be, you know, neat. It's going to be a multicultural <coughs> experience. Um, and I d the first sort of dose of reality arrives when we get to the top of that bluff and we get out of the van, and we're given a tour of uh, the community, of the colonia, the neighborhood, called Los Alamos. And what I see are little shacks built very close next to each other with little kind of dusty um, foot trails between them. The shacks are made of sheets of tin metal and cardboard and uh, wood. And there are little rivulets of uh, water kind of wandering down the paths. There are half-fed dogs trotting around, um, sort of napping under trees. And, you know, this is the first time I have been in poverty face-to-face. Um, -face. Um, I have seen it, you know, in those, like, Sally Struthers TV ads where they talk about <laughs> saving the children. And um, I've seen it when I've been to Mexico in the past, and I have flown into Mazatlan and, uh, you know, ridden in the taxi from the airport to the resort, the Balboa Club, um, and through the taxi window I see these neighborhoods, these little um, barrios, and you know, I'm on my way to where um, you know, my family's gonna drink too many margaritas and I'm gonna play in the sand on the beach. So um, this is totally new to me, and um, I realized for the first time that I didn't really know what the fuck I was getting myself into. <laughs> And I get scared because I can't see a way forward. I don't, this is so foreign from my reality. I cannot imagine what could come next. And so then we're taken to the school and we're shown, I'm shown the classroom where I'm gonna teach, which is just a box made of, um, again, sheets of wood wrapped in chicken wire with um, wet cement that's been sort of slathered on the sides and left to dry. There have been two windows cut out of the um, pieces of wood for windows, two um, squares. And there's a long rectangle cut out for a doorway with a slat of wood that's been nailed on and pried open so that we can go in and see what's there, which is um, bare wooden walls to the studs, um, one blackboard attached to the wall on one side, um, and a bunch of teeny tiny little desks with chairs 
for the teeny tiny little third graders that I will be teaching. There's no um, artwork on the walls. There's no paper, there are no books, there's no glitter, there's no glue, there's no, none of that, nothing, empty. And then um, I, so I'm standing there, and I'm like, <gasps> what am I gonna do? And uh, I do, for a moment, consider having some sort of hysterical meltdown that will <laughs> result in me being carried back across the border to the San Diego airport and shipped home. Uh, but I don't do that. Um, I get back in the van, and we go to the house where we're going to stay, and I sit down with my co-teacher, Donna, and we figure out a plan. And <laughs> thank God Donna has been teaching for 30 years. Uh, her Spanish isn't that great, so in a way we make an ideal team. She uh, is going to be in charge of te teaching English grammar. I am going to teach Spanish grammar because my Spanish is better. We are going to teach math together and PE together. And if she's teaching something and she sort of loses the vocabulary, I'm going to jump in and translate for her. And if I'm teaching and some little creature starts doing something creaturely, she's going to come in and help me manage their behavior. So that's the plan. Gorilla teaching. All right. So we get up early the next morning, uh, and we get to the classroom. And I, um, I get up to stand in front of the class and introduce myself and talk you know, explain what we're going to be doing. And all of a sudden, my knees start shaking, and my chest gets really tight, and I can't breathe, and my voice gets really wobbly. And, <coughs> and I, uh, I just sort of pull it out of my ass, I guess. <laughs> I just, uh, I start making jokes. I get silly. And um, the kids like it. They think it's funny. <laughs> You know this relationship that we built over two and a half months and they um, of course I learned more from them than they did for me um, they taught me they really helped me with my Spanish a lot they love to correct me <laughs> <laughs> one of the first things they said to me was um, profa manda profa means teacher profa manda <laughs> why do you always say Tijuana Tijuana that's like the gringos it's Tijuana there's no a and I was like oh <laughs> thanks <laughs> Um, and so at the end of that two and a half month period, um, there's a celebration that's planned um, where people from the headquarters of the program in San Diego are going to come across the border and they're going to see what we've done. And it's sort of like a parent-teacher festival, but not really, kind of, sort of. And um, so <laughs> we're there and I'm watching these um, Americans sort of walk around the schoolyard in their khaki shorts and their white tennis shoes. And I'm wondering what they're thinking and what they see. And I sort of think, well, maybe they're seeing what I first saw when I got here, which was, you know, what I described. And I realized that I wasn't seeing it that way anymore. Instead of sort of the faint odor of sewage, I was actually smelling the amazing tortillas and rice and beans that the students' parents' moms had cooked for us in this celebratory lunch we were going to share. They were the best tortillas I've ever eaten, still, to this day. And, you know, those creatures were kids. <laughs> and the kids had names. They were um, Manuel and Juan Manuel, and Juan Carlos and Juan Pablo. 
and Angel and Daniela and Lydia, and they were like my kids. They were the kids of my heart. And, um, you know, I realized that, you know, sometimes change is a funny thing. Sometimes it happens in a way that we notice as it's happening, and we can feel it shifting inside us, or we can see it happening around us. And other times, we're so caught up in our life that we don't notice things have changed until we sort of catch up with ourselves. And that was what had happened to me. And I realized that I was different. I had changed. And so the next day I flew from San Diego back to the Bay Area. My parents picked me up at the airport. We drive up a windy road to the top of these hills where, to the ranch where I grew up. And um, for the first time I could really see the, uh, the view of this house where I grew up. You can see the Sierras, you can see San Francisco. I could see how huge it was. There's a guest house attached. Uh, you know, I, I thought about the history of it. My great-grandparents built it, and it's been passed through the generations. And I could feel the privilege in the air, and it, I had never noticed it before. And I have to say that I don't think I have ever lost touch with that awareness, even 20 years later. Even now when I feel like life is overwhelming, and I think, oh, it's too hard, um, things are too stacked against me, the water, I'm just keeping my head above water and it's right here at my chin. And I'm able still to step outside myself and kind of walk around and see objectively that, oh, actually, the water is down at my knees and I have all this breathing room. And I know how lucky I am. Thank you. Yeah.